0: Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives and those of our children. I'm your host, Richard Wolf As usual, before I begin, I want to remind you that we have a wonderful volunteer, Charlie Fabian, working with us these days, and that if you have suggestions, ideas, desires, for this program, we're interested in knowing how we can be better useful to you. And all we ask is that you get a hold of Charlie at the following email, charlie.info438 at gmail.com. Again, charlie.info438 at gmail.com. In today's program, which has a title, The Decline of the U.S. Empire, we're going to be talking about a number of signs, pieces of evidence, you might say, that the empire is declining. We have easy pickings because there's lots of evidence, but it is important to choose and to make the case for those of you that are strong enough to face this reality. The decline of an empire Usually makes most of the people living in that decline filled with efforts to avoid seeing it, facing it, understanding it, admitting it. So here we go. I'm going to begin with a kind of a sad story, but it is so powerful in talking about the decline of the empire that you might have missed it Greyhound bus systems known across the United States for many, many decades. That famous picture of the Greyhound and a kind of sad waiting room with a few vending machines and a few folks waiting for the 809 to come into town. And alongside Greyhound, another company, Trailways, and a bunch of smaller ones. And a new one, megabus, and so on. I want to talk to you about what's happening to these bus stations and the bus lines. First, let me establish how important this is. Bus lines in America carry more passengers each year than the Amtrak railroad system. It's a more important mechanism of transport. Roughly 60 million, six zero million Americans rely on inter-city bus travel. The average income of bus riders is under forty thousand dollars per year. Okay, in other words, this is for the poorer part of the American population, as a way to get from one city to another. So what's happening? Well, all across the country, the bus stations are closing. They're gone. And if they're not gone where you are, they soon will be. What's going on? Now we see the power of the empire. It's more profitable to use the land, typically in a downtown area, for that bus station, it's much more profitable to do something for the rich. Build an expensive condo project. Build an expensive mall downtown. Build an expensive, I was about to say office tower, but that doesn't work so well in America. After the pandemic, we don't need more of those. So what's happening is that real estate Hustlers figured out a way to make a lot of money to buy the often run-down bus station location for no other purpose than to tear it to the ground and replace it with something serving who? Well, the profitable people, the top 10% with the money to pay for those fancy condos, those expensive malls and all the rest. Interestingly, the biggest of these first group is British buying up the American bus stations. The second group is called Flixbus. It's German. And the third one is an American uh, company, Alden Capital. Now, why do I call this a decline of the empire? Because once upon a time, investors tried to make money by serving a broad middle class in the United States. They don't see it that way anymore. The money to be made is either abroad, which is a lot where they go, or else serving the people who get money from abroad. The empire is no longer strong at home it can't make as much money at home and abroad as it used to. And so where does it economize? At home. See, the bottom line when you shake all this out is that 60 million poorer Americans are going to take a loss here as we readjust the economy to a world in which the United States is not the dominant power it was and here it is in the story of the bus station because you know what you know where the people using the buses are now waiting for the bus on the street no vending machine no bench no in from the cold no in from the heat no the buses are still running fewer they're cutting out those that aren't profitable enough and for those that are left part of the profit they're going to squeeze out of this declining empire is by not providing you with a bus station here in new york city i used to have to drive on my way to work right by one of the fences along which people often for hours, had been sitting on their own luggage, waiting for the bus to pick them up. Offloading the costs of a declining empire on those, of course, least able to prevent it. Here's another cost of empire. When your empire declines, you try not to face it But if you don't face it, you make mistakes. You don't understand that your empire isn't as big, as tough, and as powerful as it once was. You didn't want to face the decline. And here's an example right from our headlines. The war in Ukraine. The idea was that the powerful United States with its powerful European allies, on the one hand, with a combined GDP in excess of $30 trillion per year, confronting Russia, one country with an annual GDP of $1.5 trillion. That's a David and Goliath in which all the odds are now penned on. Goliath. But it was all wrong because the empire of the United States and that of its European allies is a declining empire. So they misunderstood. When they said at the beginning of the war, early in 2022, that the ruble would collapse, Russia would fall to its knees, Russia itself would break up into a number of other smaller countries. They were very confident the way a powerful empire 20, 30, 40 years ago might have been justified. But they're wrong now. And the ruble didn't collapse, nothing like it. And Russia didn't fall to its knees, nothing like it. Terrible human cost. In Ukraine, above all else. And here's another sign of the empire decline story. It's a small factoid, but it might have gotten lost if you pay attention to the events surrounding Ukraine. Part of the effort to destroy Russia, which failed, was to apply greater sanctions against Russia than had ever been applied against any country. The western part of the world, western Europe, the United States, would not buy Russian oil anymore, would not buy Russian gas anymore, and those are crucial exports for Russia, and that would bring them to their knees. Here's a little detail you might have missed. Not only did Russia find outlets, buyers for oil and gas, but one of the big buyers was China and another one was India. And the deal that was worked out was that they would buy from Russia oil and gas, but they would now also sell to Russia automobiles. The Russians would push back against the hurt they suffered from the sanctions by reorienting their economy, as Vladimir Putin explained to the east. And so Russia stopped buying American cars and European cars and bought instead Chinese cars, huge numbers of them. Russia is the largest country by geography on this planet, needs lots of vehicles. And one result, that the Chinese automobile companies are now the number one exporter of automobiles in the world. Last year, it was the Japanese. The year before, the number one exporter was Germany. You know who's out of the picture? The United States. Once the great producer of automobiles in the world, the empire is declining. And in the time that we have left in this first half, here's a third example the brand new war, the latest war, the escalation of events by the US and Britain bombing the little country of Yemen. See, it turns out that there are groups, Houthis, in that part of the world who are able to support their fellow Arabs in Gaza. By throwing missiles and drones against ships going through the Red Sea. That's a major artery for all kinds of shipping from the Pacific into Europe, a major line for ships. Those ships now have stopped going through the Red Sea because they don't want to risk being hit by a missile sent by these friends of Israel. And so the United States bombed these folks in Yemen. Well, let's go through and see what it means. It escalates the war. It costs the United States very much more money, but that's the least of it. The ships that can't go through the Red Sea can't go through the Suez Canal. They're going to have to go all the way around the Cape, the tip of the bottom of Africa. It's a much longer trip. It'll take many more days. It'll cost much more fuel to take that long trip. And you know what that means? It'll drive up the price of everything coming west from the Far East. And you know what that's going to do? Push up the inflation. And you know what was released a few days ago by the United States government? Signs that the inflation, which was going down, stopped going down and turned around and went back up. The costs of a declining empire. You can't stop this stuff. We've come to the end of the first half of today's economic update. Please stay with us. We'll be right back to talk about more evidence of the decline of the U.S. empire. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of Economic Update. This is about the decline of the U.S. empire. And before the break, we were talking about the war in Yemen that has broken out uh, with the United States and Britain taking action, bombing, and incurring, of course, the expense of doing that. But there's more signs of a declining empire, in this case, Britain. Now Britain is ahead of the United States. Its empire has been declining for a century now. In a way, it shows us our future here in the United States, even if it's painful to face it. So how is this an evidence of decline of the British empire? Well, you might not see the connection, so I'm going to draw it for you. This last year has seen a record number of strikes in Great Britain by what are called junior doctors. Roughly, it's the British equivalent of what we call interns in the United States. It's a stage in medical uh, training beyond medical school, but you're not yet a full-fledged doctor. You're on your way, and you serve a number of years as an intern, uh, honing your skills as a specialist, and so on. There have been more strikes in the last 10 months of junior doctors across Britain than ever in the history of the medical profession. Those doctors are desperate to do that kind of thing. Why are they doing it? Number one reason. Inflation in Britain has been severe. Their wages, because that's how the British medical system is set up, haven't risen. So, that the real wealth of their income, what they can afford to buy, has dropped, get this, 26% over recent years. And they want at least what they call full restoration. Thousands of operations have had to be postponed. The chaos of the National Health Service in Britain has been worsened. It's already a system that has been starved for funds by a conservative government for years, and this situation makes it worse. But if you close the Suez Canal, if you make a war zone out of the Red Sea and the ships have to go around the Horn of Africa, then they're going to be more expensive all the goods in Britain, because many of them come from the Far East and are on those ships. And it's going to make the condition of the doctors even worse, provoking them to strike even more, disrupting the medical health system of the country. And the examples keep coming in. The United States and Britain can't stop what's going on the war in israel versus gaza or the war of israel on gaza is provoking all kinds of reactions as everyone knew it would across the arab world and beyond that across the muslim world and beyond that across most of the rest of the world that too is a declining empire story so let me turn to that as yet another piece of evidence the decline of the United States Empire is measured, among other things, in the rise of a whole other economic powerhouse in the world. That powerhouse, as I have explained on this program many times, is the People's Republic of China. Together with their allies in an association called the BRICS, B R I C S, It includes now not just China, not just the original other four countries Russia, India, Brazil, and South Africa, but another half dozen beyond that. And there are, from what I understand, 20 or more countries that have applied or indicated their intention of applying. Yes, there has been one country that was supposed to become a member but had an election change of government and decided not to, and that's Argentina. But that's the exception. China and its allies in the BRICS together are much wealthier than the United States. The total output of the United States and its allies, the G7, The United States, Britain, France, Germany, Italy, Canada, and Japan is now significantly smaller than the total output of goods and services per year GDP of China and the BRICS. Why am I telling you this? Because the decline of the one relative to the other changes the world. Every country in the world Is now rethinking where it goes to borrow money, to get investments, to find buyers for whatever comes out of the produce of that country. Wow. And they're no longer always automatically going to Washington or London or Paris or Berlin. They now have an option. They can go to China or India or fill in the blank. And they're doing it. If you like, you can say they're playing one of the two powerhouses against the other. And they're going to go with whoever gives them the better deal. And the richer one who can afford the better deal is now China and the BRICS. And country after country are doing it. Even long-time close allies of the United States, like Saudi Arabia, the most important oil-producing country on the planet, is now part of BRICS, not allied to the United States in the way that it was, not even close. Now we talk about Israel, What has Israel done? For all kinds of historical reasons, going back to the beginnings of the modern Israeli state after World War II, Israel has allied itself very closely with the United States and secondarily with the United States' allies like Britain or Canada or Germany. But Israel is not going to escape from the logic and the rationale of the new world economy in which its great ally is in a declining phase, doesn't have the dominance it once did, doesn't have the economic, political, cultural, ideological power it once wielded. In every third world country where they're looking at how to play the G7 against the BRICS, how to get the best deal possible. Israel, especially now in its war in Gaza, is having to make an amazing decision that no one else is doing. The whole world is going in the direction away from the old empire and looking to join the newly emerging one, except Israel. That's making an amazing decision, which is all the more amazing because there's no discussion of it. Is that smart? The enemies of Israel are lining up to be in the bricks. The new members of the BRICS include Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Iran. Uh oh. Where do you think the remaining Arab countries are likely to go? To whom will they look for help? And you know, when you look somewhere for help economically, it's usually the case that before long you look there also politically culturally and ultimately also militarily. Israel is making a remarkable contrary choice and the fact that they don't talk about it or face it or that the media don't raise it is no reason to be blind to it. The decline of the United States is also on evidence in the reverse. The United States too is going to have to come to terms with the new economic organization of the world economy. Oh, you can rattle your sabers, put your ships in the South China Sea, make an enormous to-do about Taiwan. We're all watching that. You can try to push that genie back into the bottle, but it never works. It won't work now, any more than it was possible for Britain to hold back its ex colony, the United States, across the 19th century. When the United States not only grew despite efforts of repression from Britain to wars, but it outgrew the British so that now we have the app reverse, where once Britain was the powerhouse and the United States was the pip squeak, it's now exactly the reverse. To pretend that we don't risk that now is foolish. And now another that might not have caught your eye, another evidence of the declining American empire. Once upon a time, the dominant company in producing airplanes, a vital product of the last century, as important as the automobile in its way, was Boeing, the Boeing Corporation. Initially based out of the far west, state of Washington, whose senators used to be called the senators from Boeing, rather than the senator from Washington State, Mr. Jackson, some years ago. Well, Boeing is unable to solve a technical problem. It's a minor one. I'm joking. It's the question of making the airplane safe. The 737 MAX and now a few weeks ago the decision of the door in the plane to leave the plane in mid-flight taking property and luckily not people with it as it as they crashed down. As a major industry as a major export of the United States, because Boeing planes used to be everywhere in the world the number one producer of modern jet aircraft etc. Well, not only are they now in serious trouble, having now for years had one safety fiasco after another, but here's the story that you might not know. Most buyers of airplanes do not want to buy only one kind of airplane from one producer. The big competitor of Boeing has been Airbus industry, a European producer. And you want two because if anything goes wrong with one of them, you want to be able to shift if you're an airline company carrying passengers. Boeing can't play that role. There's a new candidate. Yeah, you might have guessed it. It's the Chinese airline producing company, which is waiting in the wings, ready to go, and full of agents around the world offering their plane that hasn't got the safety problems of Boeing. It's relentless the way an empire declines. We have to face it, there is no option other than big mistakes like the Ukraine war, that are premised on not facing this reality. I hope you have found this discussion illuminating and thought-provoking. That was my intent. And as always, I look forward to speaking with you again next week.